16. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we come before your throne of grace and plead with you to be merciful to us as we come now to listen, that you would stir up our hearts and minds to listen to what your word has to say. Holy Spirit, do great work through this scripture to illuminate the scripture and, and, and help us to be doers of your word. Help us to, to examine our own hearts, Father, as we come now before your throne of grace. Thank you for the scriptures that keep us humble and keep us trembling at your word. Thank you, Father. What a privilege it is to be known as your child and we can come before you and we can have this opportunity to, for me not only to preach your word but for us all to hear your word, what it has to say to our daily lives. So help me, Father. Help this church. Help us to listen. Help us to be obedient. Help us to walk humbly and faithfully with you as well, Father. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said earlier on this morning, we're going to continue in basically Acts chapter 16, looking at verses 25 to 34. And we're going to come just now to our second essential that we saw in Paul's life that hopefully will encourage us to have confidence in God during suffering. Like I said, suffering can come from sin, can come from living in a fallen world, and it can come from living a godly life. Those who live godly life will be persecuted. And yeah, they're suffering for righteousness. They've been persecuted for righteousness. And what a blessing it is to be persecuted for righteousness. But the question is, is our confidence in God? As we go through our own suffering, like I said, if it's from sin in your life, if it's from living in this fallen world, or if it's from living a godly life before friends, and now you're suffering persecution, is your confidence in God? And by the word confidence, I mean we believe that someone or something is good enough to trust. And who's that person? Who's that someone we trust in? It's God. And we can trust in God because our God is himself, is 
truthfulness, meaning our God is true. Jeremiah says, and he tells us that the Lord is the true God. And Jesus said, says to his Father, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But do we trust in our true God through pain and suffering? I think of Esther. I know last week I mentioned David, and I just think of Esther. How she had confidence in God to go to the king. When Mordecai heard that Haman was going to destroy all the Jews, he went fasting in the court and he fasted and put on sackcloth and ashes and dust and he fasted and and, um, Esther heard about this and I think it was Hathak came and told Esther what what she needs to do because Mordecai said she must go to the king and let the king know exactly what's going to happen, what Haman is doing. But Esther knew. She hadn't been before the king for at least 30 days. The king has to invite you to come before him. If you just go and he doesn't put out his scepter, that's it, you're dead. She was taking a risk. But she had confidence that she would trust in God and go to the king. And she went. And the king put out his scepter. And she was able to share her story. That's because she had confidence in God. She trusted in the almighty God. So no matter what pain or suffering we gain through in our own lives right now, we can trust in God. In Him is truthfulness. He is the true living God. (coughs) The psalmist encourages us to trust in God when we are afraid. He tells us, trust in God. And it's important that we believe this. I now mentioned Jehoshaphat last week with, with praying. But he too was a man that had confidence in God. When he knew there was a multitude of army and this brought him to be afraid because of a great multitude that was coming against him and Jerusalem, what did he do? Did he run? Did he hide? Did he leave the people? Did he just leave them there to die? No, he set his face to seek the Lord. They are powerless against this great horde that is coming against them. They do not know what to do, but their eyes are on the true living God. They prayed and they sang, Give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. And guess what happened when they began to sing? When they began to sing, God brought a great confusion. He ambushed the multitude. What confidence did Jehoshaphat have in God? We too can have that confidence that Jehoshaphat had. We just got to believe that our God is true and He is the true God and in Him is truthfulness. And we can. I mentioned last week. We can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we can do this with confidence. Why? Because of what our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, did. He passed through the heavens. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The onus is up to you and I. We can either choose to turn our back on God or we choose to go straight to His throne with confidence and plead with Him for grace and mercy no matter what's gaining in our life now as we suffer. If you're reading through the Scriptures, you should be encouraged to put your confidence in Jesus Christ, to put your confidence in God our Father, to put your confidence in the Holy Spirit. But is our confidence in God? Like I said last week, we looked at joy, which I'll just recap now quickly. And Lord willing, we'll look at contentment. And, and what we want to do is we want to see that, that these two essentials, joy and contentment, showed that Paul had confidence in God. So let's just recap on joy. Joy showed that Paul had confidence in God. He and Silas had a joyful attitude which we, which we looked at last week in verses 25 and 26. Look at them. At verse 25, they are praying and singing. What happened to them? Well, we just got to go back to verses 16 to 24 and see what happened to them. They were beaten with rods. They were beaten that their flesh was opened up to bleed. Their, their legs and their feet were put in stocks, kind of tortured. And yet in verse 25, we see these two men having a joyful attitude, praying and singing hymns. Paul doesn't just write to us, to the church of Philippi, and tell us, rejoice always. I say again, rejoice. And he doesn't put it into practice. We need to walk the talk. If we tell people we serve a great mighty God and He's mighty to save, let's show them that we serve a great God who's mighty to help us as well. And here we see Paul and Silas rejoicing in Jesus. Not when they feel like it. How often we rejoice in Jesus when we feel like it. When things are going bad, we turn our back on rejoicing in the Lord always. But Paul and Silas had this joy. Where did this joy come from? It's a gift from God. Like I said last week. Actually, go listen to that first essential that I preached on last week. This is just a very brief summary. But I said last week, we might be saying, I don't have this joy. Maybe it's because you're not saved. Joy is a gift. And it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we need to cultivate this joy. It's the second manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. It's deep down in us that abides in our hearts, knowing all is well with ourselves and our God, no matter what comes our way. The only way you can cultivate this joy is if you are in the Scriptures and you are reading the Scriptures. Or you're going to certain passages to cultivate your joy. What should bring us great joy is when we read, we must know that God causes all things to work together for, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And we, we need to rejoice more in God because it's not easy. We have to encourage each other, to spur each other on, to rejoice in the Lord always. 
Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord was his strength. The joy of the Lord can be our strength. Maybe the joy of God's word can be your strength as well. And the beautiful thing, in spite of what's going on in, in, in Paul's life and Silas's life, they're rejoicing in the Lord, they have confidence in the Lord, they show it by praying and singing hymns. They're praying to God. And you can listen more last week what I said about praying. And they're singing to God. And guess what happens while they're singing? And while the prisoners are listening to them, then suddenly there was a great earthquake. What a great miracle. The earthquake comes and it shakes the foundations. And all it does is it loosens the bonds that they were fastened to. The shackles. The roof stays. The walls stay. It just opens the gates and it loosens the shackles. What a miraculous God that shows that He is sovereign over all our circumstances. And He is sovereign over exactly what's going on here in this jail. So let's, let's cultivate a joy in our hearts. We have a joy. It's been given to us. It's a gift. Let's, let's go to God's Word. Let, let allow, let's allow the Scriptures to, to help us cultivate a joyful attitude no matter what we go through in this life. Suffering through sin in our life, or to live in a fallen world, or we've been persecuted because of righteousness. Those who have confidence in God will endure the suffering of this life with joy, hope, and contentment in service to God. And that's what we want to look at next. Our second essential that showed Paul had confidence in God while suffering, and that's contentment. He had a content attitude. Him and Silas were extremely content with what they were going through. And we see this now in verses 27 to 34. Just reading around, I came across this lovely quote. True contentment comes only from God. Again, contentment's a gift. True contentment comes only from God. And enables believers to be satisfied and at ease in the midst of any problem. We just think of contentment something as having little. Yes, if you want to, to learn to be content, then be satisfied with little. But yeah, this quote says, believers to be satisfied and at ease in the midst of any problem. And sure, Paul and Silas were in a huge problem. They could only turn to one person for help and look up to one person, the Creator God, knowing their help comes from Him. Everything is knocked out from underneath them. They don't have anything to lean on. They are powerless. They are hopeless. In the world's eyes, they are defeated. They're in the middle of a prison, surrounded by prisoners and by guards. Defeated on earth, but victorious in heaven. And that's how we walk around sometimes. We, we, we don't look above to the heavenly things to help us through our suffering. We look at the earthly things and we say, Ah, oh, here we go again. We're defeated. We just, all the suffering just keeps coming upon us. When is God ever going to stop? But if we just look above, we are victorious. 
It looks like the church has lost it here on earth. It's like the church has been defeated. But it's not. It's victorious. It wins at the end. Remember that. Satan, the Jews, the Roman soldiers, the Gentiles, all thought they were doing Jesus a service by killing him on the cross. But no. Turn it all around. There was victory. They did in a service, not a disservice. Does contentment come naturally? No, it doesn't. When things come our way, bring suffering and pain, the first thing we normally do is we grumble and complain. You don't see Paul and Silas grumbling here and complaining. You see that they fix their eyes on God alone. But how, how, does, how does contentment come? Well, you've got to learn it. Think about it. Paul wrote that, I, Paul tells us, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. We've got to learn contentment. When Paul is yeah, in prison, it's only 10 to 12 years later does he pen these words to the church of Philippi, in the book of Philippians. 10 to 12 years later, he says, I've learned contentment in whatever circumstance I am in. And if you want to read somewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can see what Paul went through, how he was shipwrecked, how he was beaten, how he was left to starve, how he was left to drown. We don't like suffering. That's why we're not content, as we make ourselves out to be. If we all had lost our jobs and our salaries through COVID-19, how many of us would be here worshipping the true living God, rejoicing in Him? But thank God we haven't. Thank God He's gracious and merciful to us. And He can continue to help us to, to learn contentment. How did Paul learn contentment? How did he manage this, his contentment, in the midst of his trials and tribulations? Well, he kept his focus on the heavenly realities. He kept his eyes fixed on the things above. That's what he tells us in the book of Colossians, the same author. He too is writing from prison when he wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote the book of Philippians from prison as well. And he says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Paul and Silas can be content because they're seeking Christ above. They're not focused on the things that are going on around them. They're focusing on what they have, and they have Christ Jesus, who is their great high priest. You can help them. They're not focused on the earthly things, becoming despondent, discouraged, becoming faint-hearted, weary in heart. And why do they look to and raise their eyes to the heavenly things where Christ is seated? Why Christ Jesus? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the only way God can strengthen us through Christ Jesus is if we read in God's word. It's a supernatural book. God can supernaturally encourage us, stir us up and help us. We throw that verse around so loosely. Someone's in trouble. Remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And the poor guy is saying, but how? How? 
I just want him to take the pain and the problem away. Read the book of Philippians and you'll see what Paul really means about I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he has a man that's talking from experience. It's not a cliche. It's not just words being thrown out, patting someone on the back and saying, it all go well. Paul had real pain, real suffering. He lived in the real world, reality, not in idealism. And Christ was the means of strengthening his soul and leading Paul to glory eventually. We're just pilgrims passing through. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we go through suffering. We need to continue to have confidence in God during suffering, which allows us to exercise our faith in God's word, which then gives strength for our souls to endure no matter what circumstance or trial comes our way. Because James warns us, various trials will come our way. And yeah, in prison we see Paul and Silas, within their problem, they continue to be a faithful witness for Jesus. They continue doing the work. They continue sowing the seed, watering the seed. They continue witnessing for Christ, no matter what's going on in their lives. And when the jailer woke and saw the open prison doors, he assumed everyone had escaped. So in despair, what does he do? He draws his sword and is about to kill himself. Why? Well, we must know that if a jailer who had a jail to look after and any prisoner escaped, punishment was death to them. So he would rather take his life than die in shame and embarrassment. Paul and Silas who are content with what's going on, they show that they are concerned for this jailer. And they, and they cry to him, in a loud voice, telling him, all the prisoners are yet. don't take your life. They know that this man is also created in the image of God. Life is sacred. But also think of this. Common sense tells us, if that man takes his life, and the next day, if some of the prisoners stayed, are the other prison captains Prison guards is going to believe that this man committed suicide? They're not going to believe the prisoners. They're in there for a reason. They probably murdered people in their lives. Paul and Silas, who are content, love what they're called to do, and is to be a faithful witness. To save lives. Not for them to save the lives, but to use God's word to save lives. And look how the jailer responds to Paul. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He was obviously disturbed what was going on. He's obviously afraid with what was going on, with the earthquake and everything that's happening around him. He probably had witnessed Paul and Silas praying and singing to their God to help them in their situation. I mean, what, what two great men, Paul and Silas, how they prevented this man from committing suicide, which showed, and this is what I always say, 
If you are saved, you will show it in what you are doing out there, in your changed life. If these two men had not been changed, and their hearts were still hard, they would have seeked vengeance and just left this man to kill himself. But Paul and Silas, who, who were saved and showed they had a changed heart, they were clothed in Christ's righteousness, that their heart was clothed in Christ's love and his compassion, they cried out to this jailer. Paul knew who the true prisoner was, which is the jailer. He's still a prisoner to sin. Paul is a prisoner generally, but he's free. He's not a prisoner to sin and a slave to sin. He knew that this man was still a prisoner to sin. But, but let's be honest. If you were a prisoner or you were that prison guard and you saw these two men coming to the jail, the way they were treated, unjustly, unfairly, beaten, wounds opened up, bleeding, probably big fat blue eyes, because they were hit with rods. And suddenly you heard these men singing to a God, which we know is our true living God, and praying to this God. It must stir you up. And thinking, wow. I know some people that say they love God and when things come go bad in their lives, they shout and scream at God. But this, these two men are rejoicing and, and singing and praying. Do you know what they're doing? They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This jailer wanted the God that they were worshipping. Because they saw light shining. The light that Christ had put in their hearts and turned their hearts from darkness to light is now shining into these men's lives. Do people see that in our lives? Anything that the jailer doesn't know. How to know this true living God. He wants to be right with this God. So he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to know this God, to be saved? Not from the punishment of Rome that are going to come down and put him to death if some prisoners are, are, are missing. No, from the punishment of judgment day, from the punishment of sin. Remember when natural, natural disasters happen, like pestilence, diseases, like this virus, like earthquakes, like flooding. In one way, that's God's anger from heaven upon earth because of our sin. And he saw the earthquake as a warning how seriously God takes sin. Just again, I'll just reading through the book of Revelation, which I'm looking forward to teach in the middle of next year or maybe earlier than that. When you think of the four horsemen, 
The one brings military conquest, warlords. The one brings civil war and blood. The one brings famine to the earth. And the one brings disease, pestilence to the earth. That's God's wrath coming upon our sin. It's a warning, judgment to come. There's something, this, this jailer feared something in his life, and now he wants to be saved. He wants the God that is in Paul and Silas's heart. And the only way that he can believe and put his faith and trust in Jesus is to know that he is the way and the truth and life. No one comes to Father but through Jesus. And Paul and Silas tell him, in order to be saved, he needs to believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. He points people to Christ, to the cross, to Jesus. But Jesus is our Saviour and Lord. Behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. There's our Saviour. And through Him we save from the wrath to come. We save from Judgment Day. On the cross there Jesus bled to forgive our sins, to reconcile us to our Father. And the purpose is to glorify our Father and to honour our Father through our lives. But this jailer needs to know, like Scripture tells, tells us, that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you here this morning and you're not sure if you have true salvation. You're not sure what it means to be saved. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. And Paul and Silas have been asked to witness these things. Jesus' things. His words. His words. His life. His crucifixion. His resurrection. His ascension. And tell people about these truths. That's why it's the gospel of truth. And the Holy Spirit is truth, comes to live in us, and He helps us cultivate this truth in our hearts, that our convictions grow strong, that we go around. Salvation is completely by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Christ. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? The Christ. But Peter, you only know because the Father has made that known to you. And they need to believe that he died on the cross to forgive their sins. And he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, to conquer death. And he ascended into heaven. These are truths that make up the gospel. The gospel has lost its true meaning today. What is the gospel? Well, we should start. The gospel is all about our Father, our Heavenly Father, what He's done for us through His only Son, Jesus Christ. There He sent Him to the cross to die, for our sins to be given, for, to our, for our sins to be forgiven, in order that we may be reconciled to Him. But Jesus had to accomplish much on the way to the cross. 
And he did it all voluntarily and willingly. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Willingly and voluntarily. So if you want to know if you are really saved, then all you need to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if you want to know if you're really saved, you have a changed heart. This is what we see in the jailer's life. Look what the jailer is doing. He takes them home and he cleans their wounds and he washes them clean. But there's a greater picture here. His wounds have been forgiven by the wounds of Christ. You read that in Isaiah chapter 53. What great love do we see through this jailer? Yes, we see that his whole household believed, they were baptized, they made an immediate public identification with Jesus Christ in baptism, they showed that they are followers of Christ. And they did that out of obedience. But to see what this man does shows that he is truly saved and he has a changed heart. There is so much joy and love and kindness and goodness and compassion that this man ends up cleaning Paul and Silas's wounds. He takes them home and he feeds them hospitality. What amazing grace. To save and bring about such loving fellowship. That's what we see here. There is fellowship. They are expressing great joy together in Christ Jesus. This jailer is God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. He was created to be Christ's workmanship. To do good works and to walk in them. That's what he's showing. A changed heart will show that we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus and do good works and walk in them. Not perfectly. We all blunder. We all mess up. But that's not an excuse. What amazing grace to save and bring about such loving fellowship. And that's what we see. These two essentials that we touched on, joy and contentment, that we've looked at from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34, that showed that Paul had confidence in God during suffering. Do we experience joy and contentment during suffering? Because if we are, then we're showing that we have great confidence in God during suffering. Like I said last week, what a great person to turn to. What a great book to turn to, which we're busy doing in our home fellowship group, the book of Hebrews, which we'll get to these verses soon. But in chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
And like I said, the joy is in his exaltation. He knows where he's going. We too should have that joy knowing that we are pilgrims passing through this earth into a new heavens and new earth one day. And when we struggle with this joy, when we grow weary and faint-hearted, we can look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, all the suffering, the, the pain, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not just coming to the presence of God, he is seated. It is finished, the work that he came to do on the cross and in his life. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more atonement. It is fulfilled in Christ Jesus alone. And it's by his blood that was shed on the cross we have forgiveness of sins. We are reconciled to our Father. So we can experience joy and contentment in suffering. And who do we look to when we want to experience this joy and contentment? Look to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And go and do likewise. Walk in the same manner as him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will have joy and contentment no matter what comes our way. God's grace is sufficient. His word is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. But we will struggle. That's why we meet and we have fellowship. And we encourage each other to endure this race. Run it with great confidence. Keeping our eyes fixed on God no matter what is going on in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for our salvation that we can look to you with confidence in time of need. And thank you we could learn from Paul and Silas. What great men who, who showed joy and contentment in this jail. That they kept on glorifying and honouring your name, kept on trusting and having confidence in you alone. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. We don't do this often. We always find ourselves talking and grumbling and complaining and, and finding fault in people. We look down on people when they do fall into sin, when they struggle. Help us, Father. Be merciful to us. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on Jesus. And help people in gentleness and love in compassion and kindness and goodness. Help us, Father. Help us to experience this joy and contentment in our own lives as we go through suffering. And if we are experiencing it, we show that we have confidence in you, Father, during and through our suffering. Have mercy upon us, Father. Please be merciful, be gracious to us. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.